0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at
1: slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. This is Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two excellent guests this week. They are colleagues of mine at The Athletic and two of the best when it comes to women's college basketball and the WNBA. Chantel Jennings is a national writer for The Athletic covering the WNBA and women's college basketball. Ben Pickman is a staff writer for The Athletic covering the WNBA and women's college basketball. For the purposes of this podcast, though, we are going to focus on women's college basketball this year, um, which to me really... um, has the potential to explode even more as a media play. I think anybody who listens to this podcast and certainly has read me over the years knows um, my interest in women's college basketball. And this past year, LSU and Iowa are coming off a final which drew 9.9 million viewers. Um, Just an incredible number, an incredible outlier number. But we're seeing early this year that I think interest has ticked up. And no better people to bring on than Chantel. And Ben, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: All right, I'm going to start with you, Chantel. Um, this is very sort of an open-ended, so whatever sort of comes to mind um, for both you and Ben, uh, I'd appreciate it. And it could be either player-centric or it could be issue-centric, but give me just a couple of things that you think are the biggest stories this year in women's college basketball and things that... Um, You're interested in exploring for the athletic.
1: I think this year, specifically in women's college basketball, we're sort of seeing the rise of the star in a way that we haven't seen in seasons past, where I think we had one or maybe one sort of women's basketball player who a lot of the basketball community knew, even if you weren't a fan specifically of women's college basketball. Um, But and, and maybe one of those players would have broken through into like the American zeitgeist before, like Arike Gunbawale going on the Ellen show after she hits those shots. Like, But I think this year, the fact that you have multiple players that have kind of broken through that barrier where I have friends or people that I know on Facebook or people that I interact with that know I cover women's basketball that are asking me about Angel Reese and Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark, and they know all three of their names. I think that to me probably feels pretty different than years past. And that's, you know, obviously one of the things that drives interest in the game as a whole, those personalities, um, what they're able to do on the court, what they're able to do off the court. And I think with NIL wrapping into all of that, you're sort of seeing this confluence of all of these events that has led us to this moment. But I think that that to me feels like when we look back at this season, that will be one of the things that stands out. That really makes a difference.
0: What about for you, Ben? I mean, I think obviously Chantel is right. the, the, you know, that we've had returning stars before in women's college basketball, but this feels different. And I don't know if it's NIL. I think it has to do with obviously last year's tournament and just the build up. Uh, and then obviously the final game, but Chantel's totally right. Like the, just I have people sort of in my world who really don't know anything about women's basketball, but they know who Caitlin Clark is, like, for sure. And they've heard of Angel Reese. They may have only heard of it, obviously, even just the, you know, finger wagging or stuff like that. But, like, the reality is, like, this is awareness. That was not necessarily the case um, even, like, 10 years ago when I was covering the sport. Like, if somebody maybe knew the best player like maybe they've heard of Brianna Stewart or something like that or maybe they had heard of someone else but this is this is different so i imagine you agree with her in terms of the the star power this year is there anything else that you that you're keeping your eye on
2: yeah i mean i would also add to the points you both made the covid year means there's now some uncertainty as to whether some of these big stars stay presently for just this season or stay another season beyond that. And so there's this intrigue that we sometimes see in some other sports, most mostly in the NBA about like, will they change teams or not? In essence, will they go to the draft or will they stay in college? And what are all the kind of implications of that? Um, I think from a team building and a kind of around the sport team perspective, the impact that transfers and the transfer portal has had um is something I'm very interested in. And we see it right off the bat with LSU, right? The reigning national champion, sure, Angel Reese is returning and she had been a transfer, but this is a team that really reloaded and bolstered its roster in the transfer portal. And I think there's so much immediate drama that is created. And we saw it earlier this week with them losing, despite being the number one team in the country, to Colorado. There's this drama of, you know, how will they fit together? What will the team look like in the short term? What will they look like in the medium term? And in March, and if things... Don't work out. What does that mean in terms of roster movement or roster displacement and players coming and going? And you know, coaches talk about how they're always kind of re-recruiting their players after seasons because there is this freedom of movement, and that has led to so much more intrigue as well. And I think we see it. You know, LSU is a great example. They have individual, you know, star power that people are interested in: Angel and Flajie Johnson and Haley Van Lith and Kim Mulkey, of course. And then there is team with them, and so. You know, I think they kind of are a perfect team for this moment in so many respects because of, you know, all the different ways you can look at them and see the the tentacles of the sport or the the state of the sport. Um, they represent so much of it.
0: I'm going to stick with you, Ben. This is as much a media question as a women's basketball question, but, um, the last year's women's final, um, drew a number that essentially was akin to like a World Series game or a, um. <clears throat> you know, an NFL network football game, like, uh, or, you know, use your sort of other sort of major sport analogy. My thought is that the momentum is going to continue into this year. And one of the things you sort of can look at for growth of a sport is like, how does the, how do the broadcasters sort of approach this stuff? ESPN recently for Notre Dame and South Carolina they sent their lead basketball team to Paris. They didn't do that from a studio in Bristol. They literally flew Ryan Ruko, Rebecca Lobo, Holly Rowe, Andrea Carter to the event. That's a sign of growth to me. Um, ESPN, too, actually, as we taped this tonight, I believe, has uh, Iowa versus Virginia Tech. It's a very big early season game that ESPN um, is sort of programming within its you know edifice to put into prime time. So my expectation is that numbers are going to continue to go up we're not going to get 9.9 million for every game that's just inconceivable but from your end from someone sort of who's on the ground talking to coaches talking to players what 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 is what what are they saying about this year in terms of like media coverage and and how much attention they think they're going to get
2: i mean i think the expectation is it's going to remain very very high and i was joking you mentioned the iowa's Virginia Tech game on Thursday night, just in the Iowa game notes, the way they mark that game as a differentiator, as a showcase game is with a little dollar sign. And that's obviously a decision made by the SID, but I thought it was pretty emblematic because like these are these kind of big money games that TV executives are keeping a very close eye on about what is the rating for a regular season kind of showcase game in the first week of the year. And I would expect it to get, you know, a a pretty good rating. I mean, I think Kalen Clark is going to get a good rating every single time out that that her and Iowa plays and they're playing a final four team in Virginia tech. So, you know, I think it is a a good first test case. And you mentioned it, Richard, like, I I don't necessarily think, you know, the, the, every game of course, is not going to get that 9.9 number. If Iowa doesn't make like a big run in the NCAA tournament, I'm sure ratings might go down a little bit in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, depending on how teams go, we'll see, but Interest is certainly up, and and in that Paris game in particular, we saw the conversation also online, middle of the afternoon. People were really watching across sports, in the women's basketball community, and people were talking about some plays from that game. And so, you know, I think we've seen the interest early in this season, and I think it's only something that will continue as the the season progresses.
0: Yeah, there was was at least one highlight, uh, crazy highlight pass that was like... uh, that got shared around all over the place, which was pretty awesome to see. So Chantel, let me, let me read you this like stat for um, on the ESPN release when they sort of uh, talk about the highlights of their year. There's, they're going to have more than 50 appearances from the final four teams from last year. LSU will appear on their airways 17 times, South Carolina 22, Virginia Tech 16, Iowa 4. Iowa has a lot of games, by the way, on the big 10 network and with Fox. So that's why that number is lower. Um, But that's phenomenal. I I can tell you just from covering the stuff years past, that's not been the case. And it's very clear um, that ESPN's commitment, I think to programming, you know, you have to give it to them. It continues to go. They're not perfect, but man, like you can never say they don't support this sport. No,
1: they certainly do. And I think, obviously putting those games on air, putting them on the main channels, putting them on a time that makes sense. Um, I know I was in Baton Rouge earlier this year, right before the LSU South Carolina game time came out. Um, And I know Kim Mulkey was a little surprised that wasn't going to be a weekend game. I think it's a Thursday night matchup if I'm not wrong on that, but no, I think I, for, for as long as I can remember, I think the the main thing you have to remember with women's sports is if you broadcast it, people will watch. Like if you put this in a place where people can watch it, they will watch it and they'll be able to see those highlights. You know, I don't know how many people saw the Malaysia full Wiley highlight that you were talking about live. A ton of people saw it on Twitter. Um, it was tough because it was a game that was played in Paris, so you had to account for time changes. So it had basically a lunchtime tip off. So that makes it a little tough, um, but the benefit of that is that South Carolina has a really strong social media presence and a social media following, and they were able to push that out. ESPN pushed that highlight out. Every other sort of mainstream women's basketball Twitter page pushed that highlight out. You know, NBA players were, uh, and the and alums and WNBA players, like everyone was talking about it. And I think that's the thing that if there's something to be learned sort of from the NCAA tournament, it's that Obviously, the play was really impressive, but it's these moments, whether it's, you know, trash talking or huge threes or incredible no-look passes that sort of can circulate and build interest um, in these teams and and how they can use that moving forward. And that's not our job as reporters. That's TV folks and social media folks' job to figure out how to build the game in that way. But. I think there is a very organic way to do that through social media while using the players and their personalities and what they do on the floor.
0: Yeah. And that, but that, and that, that stuff really does have meaning because Gen Z as a generation does not watch games in full. So like that's how you can maybe get them interested by like an incredible highlight like that, that gets them to ID the person like, Oh wow, that, you know, that, that woman is like, she just made this amazing pass. Maybe I'll go check out LSU play because you know, that by and large, people between the ages of fifteen and twenty-five. It, it's not just women's basketball; they don't watch any sport from beginning to end. And so, like those clips shared on TikTok and social are huge. I'm going to stick with you, Chantal, and then go back to Ben. This is really something interesting to me. Um, both of you um, have profiled the biggest stars of the sport, the 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 coaches who are um, long tenured and household names. In 2023, Chantel, can you give my listeners a sense of what kind of access can you get, and is it easy to set up something with Don Staley? Is it hard to set up something with Caitlin Clark? What what is that like for you? And again, someone who works for a national outlet, so you know you do have a little bit of standing in terms of you can deliver for them an audience, but it's not always doesn't always necessarily mean you're going to get what you what you need. So how has it been for you?
1: I think by and large women's college basketball is very open in terms of access. I think most of the people within the game understand the importance of media in telling stories. I think there's also a role and responsibility for media to do that well to sort of show that, you know, these human interest profiles and stories and that access you you can turn it into a story that's revealing and tells the truth about someone and and you know, sort of my soapbox of sports journalism is that, you know, storytelling is best when it reminds us that we're not alone. And so, like, those stories that we can tell within the sport, like, when we can do that as writers, we have to do it well. Um, and when you have that access, you know, to really glean observations and and good information and good interviews from from those times. And I would say, not not everyone and not every program is like, here, here's the red carpet, come on down. Um, and a lot of it is relationship building. I wrote a story about Neil Ivy this week that was about um, her late brother, but that was a story that's been in the works for about a year. She told me about him a year ago. And we kind of discussed, you know, would you be open to talking about that again? This wasn't like I showed up to Notre Dame, we'd never met one another before. She doesn't know me from Adam and we sit down and talk about this. Like, it's about relationships. The story I wrote about Tara Vandavere was three years in the making. Like, these are stories that, you know, evolve over time and are built on trust and relationships. And so I think that part is really, really important. And I think the more that media sort of has a consistent present within the sport um, and the more that we show up and do our jobs. Well, that's great. I think also on the other side of that, you know, coaches, players, athletic departments need to be open to letting people come in. And I think for the most part, not every school, not every team, not every program, not every person. um, And I won't name names, but you know, not everyone has been or is super open, but for the most part, I think it is a sport where you know, we're able to tell really, really great stories with that access.
0: Oh, I wish you wouldn't name names, but I'm not, I, don't, I realize that, you know, you want to keep some relationships. All right, Ben, again, you've worked at a couple big places. What has it been like so far access with UConn, South Carolina, LSU, UCLA, Iowa? How have you found it? If if
2: you want to talk to either a player or if you want to talk to the coaches? I mean, I think Chantel hit the main stuff. What I would add is agents are also now very much a part of college sports coverage, right? And how, you know, the relationships, it is beneficial to be in this space year round, although it is two leagues, of course, but like a lot of the agents who rep the top WNBA players or agencies that have some of the biggest names in the WNBA also rep, you know, some of the top college players. And I think right now that is very much something that, you know, on a very granular level, like, I think it is story by story. It depends on how much does an agency want to be involved, how much do they help coordinate a conversation with a player, with a parent, with a friend. I think it really depends on the program. It depends on the athlete. And I think that is something that um, I feel like I'm constantly monitoring and, and checking with myself and, and just navigating in this space as I work on, you know, especially profile pieces. Um, because every program. Is very different, and you want to be mindful of the relationships you build with people at specific programs, and also with agencies. And so that I think is the the new wrinkle, especially in covering college sports, that you know is a big change from five years ago, ten years ago, and from when you were doing it more, Richard. Chantelle?
1: Yeah, and just just to sort of piggyback on what Ben was saying, and I think the thing that makes it really interesting is it's different, like per agency, per player. Like there are certain schools where you go there. And you, you are maybe dealing with that agency or you're dealing with the SID. Some SIDs are saying any interviews that happen on campus with the player, like this is me and I'm going to let their agent know what's happening, but it's not necessarily like a, can they do this? It's So I think there's sort of that push and pull right now that is still getting figured out maybe by agency and 10 years from now, I bet they'll sort of be an established, you know, through line of like, this is how it looks. But I think right now we're very much in the, like the sausage is being made, like who, whose decision is is, is where.
0: That's really interesting. Uh, this is for both of you. Ben, you mentioned it. So I'll, I'll go to you. If you were going to approach, I'll just use Paige Becker as an example. I actually don't know if she has an agent away from UConn. I'm going to guess that she does. Um, would you, to make the first reach out, would you email her agency? Would you email UConn's SID or would you email both together so that both entities know that you have a request here?
2: I would probably email both separately and maybe at the same time. Like I, w- I would just try and, you know, go through as many different channels as possible. If it involved a visit to Yukon, then certainly like I'm looping in the SID pretty early on. But yeah, Paige is represented by Wasserman. Um, I certainly saw her at a number of events kind of uh, in this fall, uh, you know, over the summer. Um, she recently signed with Nike. And so, you know, they were promoting her, her Wasserman camp. Um, was with her at the recent like Nike Global Basketball Festival, not someone from UConn. And so, like, if I wanted to talk to her in that context, I would have gone through her agency. I, I think it kind of depends on, you know, story and person and relationship. And it's tough to, you know, be so broad strokes because I think it really is personal. And it, it also depends on the program and if you have a prior relationship too with the coach, right? Sometimes coaches are, you know, sometimes you can circumvent is the wrong word, but you can just reach out to the coach first and see what they think and check in with them and give them a heads up before you even do that with the SID. So, so there is really a personal level to this, as Chantel was talking about. Um, it's just there's an added player in this whole conversation now with, with these agencies that have a, a say in kind of managing some of these, these top stars.
0: That's really fascinating because uh, I can tell you, Chantel, the last year I covered women's college basketball. Like at least in full was 2017 at SI, and I remember the SID at Oregon told, gave me Kelly Graves his number. I hope my memory is like serving correct. And so I would text him back and forth, and he was like, "If you want to talk to Sabrina, like here's a number. Here you go." Like that seems inconceivable today. Sabrina Ionesco, I'm talking about now. Obviously, plays with Liberty. Um, so that's really changed, even in a short amount of time since I was covering this stuff. The fact that now you would have to go through Wasserman like as well as an SID, um, I mean, shows you in many ways how professionalized the sport is becoming, which by the way, I think is a good thing um, for the top players. Do you think, uh, Chantal, is someone who does long form, you know, really thoughtful takeout features. um, Do you think that, you know, there's an upside for players and a downside to agree to this stuff? Do you think the top players, I mean, you got Angel Reese, but do you think they're still interested in that kind of exploration where a writer like yourself spends a couple of days with them to try to really tell a long form story as opposed to like, and I'm sure Ben knows deals with this too. Like here's it, so-and-so is promoting so-and-so you get 15 minutes to talk to him. And one of the questions has to be about whatever the promotion is.
1: <laughs> yeah. You have to like talk about power or,
0: right. or whatever.
1: <laughs> um, that's a great quest- question, Richard. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's tough to say because this is also by and large reporting that hasn't always existed in women's basketball coverage. Like I remember growing up and following the sport, there were very few places where I could, if anywhere that I could read 2000 words about my favorite women's basketball player outside of March maybe. And that was Sports Illustrated, right? Like you really couldn't get this information elsewhere. And so I think when there is sort of that vacuum and players haven't grown up with it as much, maybe it's tougher, but that's in theory In practice. Like I went to LSU, I wrote 3000 words on angel. Um, she's, she gave me time. We we had a follow-up call. Like, you know, I don't think she necessarily grew up reading 3000 word features on her favorite women's basketball players, but that doesn't mean it's not something she's open to. Um, I think obviously with these players, they, they're smart, they're savvy. A lot of them who are, you know, in the NIL world are business women as well. And so they understand the value of putting their brand out there. Um, And so I think that also depends on the story. Like what kind of a story are you telling? What is um, that? And then sort of that added layer of, because there is less coverage in women's college basketball, sometimes you're sitting down with some of these players for one of their first conversations with reporters. And maybe you are asking them tougher questions or more personal questions. And it's not like they get to go through the process of like, let's talk about all of these really easy topics through media days for with 80 reporters for three years. And then you sit down for your first sort of in-depth one-on-one. Um, that doesn't happen as much on the women's side. I don't know if Ben, I'm sure you have additional thoughts as well on this.
2: Yeah, I mean, what I would add is, I do think consistently you see some of these takeout pieces of college star the start of season or in March. And the stars obviously change as they then graduate to the WNBA, but you see it you know, more consistently every year in comparison to, say, the WNBA, where I think it's pretty rare um, to often see a, a huge takeout of Asia Wilson or Brianna Stewart or um, – you know, insert your, your big WNBA star. And sometimes you see that at the start of the year in the WNBA or around award season, but, you know, I do think, um, and, you know, you don't necessarily need an hour to, to write a, you know, a really good takeout. And sometimes you don't even need, you know, anyone to approve it or let you in at all, obviously access, you know, access is important, but you don't often need it to, to write a really good piece. So that should be said as well. Um, But I do think in college, like a lot of universities still are pretty inviting um, to you visiting a campus and you writing a big story or you connecting and and getting to know some of their biggest players because it promotes the players, but it also promotes the program. And I think, you know, a lot of college programs still want a lot more coverage. I think in the WNBA, by comparison, it, it is a little bit different and maybe agencies have a little bit more you know, uh, control or, or monitoring and managing their players a little more. I think some of the team philosophies in terms of PR are a little bit different, um, than some of the colleges. So, you know, there's obviously room for growth as Chantel was talking about, but I do think college stars relatively, I think compared to some of the WNBA stars get written about, you know, maybe more so, I think maybe definitely more. So I've read a bunch of Caitlin Clark stories to start this year, a bunch of Angel Reese stories. Um, as well. And, and I'm sure there's only more coming. So, um, I think that is one interesting comparison point in, in the two, I guess, leagues or, or WNBA and women's college basketball.
0: This is for both of you. Uh, Chantel, give me two people, two players playing this year in women's college basketball that you'd love to have the time to go long, long on.
1: That's tough, Richard. Cause I obviously have some stuff in the works that um <laughs> hasn't come out yet, but, um, Two players that I would want to write on. Who
0: you have not profiled already.
1: Who I have not profiled already and have not sort of lined stuff up with. Let's say that. Um I mean, after I, I don't know much about Malaysia for Wiley, but after watching her play in Paris, like everyone is talking about that, you know, behind the back. Layup through three Notre Dame defenders. Um, she actually had a pass to Tahina Pow Pow in the third quarter that was like a no-look sort yeah, of thing. That's where was what John like, Staley lost
0: her in the background. She sort of lost her mind, which is pretty great.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think to like have another point guard lose their mind in that way, like, you know, we're reporters, we're we're watching this from an educated perspective, I would say. But I think I like watching coaches and other players when they lose their minds watching players i'm like okay yeah she is as good as we think she is um i just don't know a lot about her i've i've referred to her as a swiss army knife because she can dunk she can hit three she sort of has this really all-around skill set that intrigues me um but i want to know more about her as a person uh so i think malaysia for wiley is definitely on that list uh maybe i'll throw it to ben as i think about the second player
2: what about you Ben? I mean, one name that sticks out in my mind is Georgia Amor. I mean, I think she was one of the stars of last year's tournament. And I was around that part of the regional in Seattle and then obviously into the Final Four. And she, you know, has so much exuberance and so much energy as an interview. And I'm a, I- I'm a little bit of a sucker for international players. And I, I love just like learning about their stories and their experiences. And, um, you know, she's undersized, but she's one of the biggest stars in this sport. And I think it's so interesting to just think about like, her journey to, to this point and what could be in her future. So I think that is one name um, that sticks out in my mind of players who, you know, maybe uh, I haven't contacted with, or I'm not working on on anything with um, right now. I, I think there's also some interesting just comeback stories this year around the sport. Um, Tamari Key from Tennessee is one, um, you know, she she missed all of last season with blood clots and she was someone who uh, was a key part of, that Tennessee team uh, a few years back and is one of the best centers in the country and was supposed to be a really important part on that team. And so, um, you know, I think kind of tapping into that personal side or hearing some of her reflections on her journey. I think that is another player um, that just interests me um, as the season gets underway. That's good.
0: I'll save you, Chantel. You don't have to give a second one. If you don't want to, if you don't oh. want to, uh,
1: I don't want to uh, like, this is like the, the reporter in me where it's like, I don't want to give away.
0: No, no, you never, I don't you know never listen to this. Yeah. You never give that up. I, I hear you. All right, two more topics I want to hit you guys on. Um, I'll start with you, Chantal. Um, There's been a lot of talk in the sport that um, there's a significant possibility that the women's tournament will become its own property and go to market and then see who wants to bid on it. I would be stunned if ESPN does not retain that, um, or at least the majority of it, just because of how important it is to ESPN. They've built the sport up. They've significantly invested. That said, if something goes to market, You don't know if Amazon's going to come in and swoop or Apple. I'd be really surprised if Fox Sports did, Uh, even though they're getting more into women's basketball. I just, I don't think they would go to that, but I I would never put it past Amazon if they just decided, you know, Jeff Bezos wakes up one day and like, you know what? I'm really into women's basketball. And like, we're going to bid, I'm making this up. Okay. $300 million for this property. Um, Then there's the converse, right? Is that women's basketball is a very important part of the NCAA championships And it will hurt the other sports in terms of how much money the NCAA can get because this is one of the star properties. Um, Do you have any thoughts on this in terms of – I'd like to see it go to market because I think that then signals to the public and the business community that this is like a serious property that deserves its own standing. And and then you can see the money that people are going to put towards it. And then I think that attracts other investment. This is just my theory on this. So I hope they go to market. I, I do hope ESPN retains because I actually think they've done the best job. But that's my take. How do you? I would be curious how you two guys see this?
1: Yeah, I think it should go to market on its own, one hundred percent. I think sort of save, you know, Jeff Bezos deciding he wants to buy the women's basketball tournament instead of another three mega yachts or whatever. like then yes, um, I think it it stays with ESPN. Um, I think that this whole argument of like, oh, but, women's basketball carries along other sports. Okay. Volleyball. Did we not just watch a ton of people show up to Nebraska to watch it? Like softball, the women's college world series. Like I don't think women's basketball needs to be the vehicle that sort of brings other things along. I think it is its own entity and it should be sold as such. Um, I think that's what should happen. Uh, am I convinced that's what will happen? I don't know. Um, I'm curious sort of I would love to be sort of a fly on the wall in those conversations. I think Charlie Baker should be calling, NCAA president Charlie Baker should be calling and should have already been calling like every top 25 coach in the country to like establish relationships. That's not happening, I know. (laughs) Um, And so do I have a ton of confidence in the NCAA doing this to put women's basketball on its own to allow it to earn what it should earn? No, but ultimately I do think that's, that's what will happen.
2: What about you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you guys are saying about it kind of being a separate property. I would also mention, you know, volleyball, college volleyball has seen a number of record breaking viewership numbers this fall, right? Not only some of the in-person attendance, but I believe, I feel like a couple of times on a couple of different occasions, it's, it's broken some records on its own.
0: Big 10 network, 600,000 viewers. That's, that's a monster number for college volleyball
2: right and and sometimes it has a football a college football lead-in and sometimes I think it's just broken records as a standalone which I think yeah, is. fox you know, just had a sta-
0: yeah I didn't mean to interrupt you. fox put a game on after the NFL that's it I think that's the most watched women's volleyball game non-Olympics ever and that's that was over a million
2: right and and so you know I think we've seen growth so much growth over the last 12 months and over you know an extended window beyond that in the women's college sports space and in the college sports space alone but I think we've seen that women's college basketball can be its own entity and still get, you know, a really big number. And I think, you know, we've seen that, you know, with obviously the the run of stars that we started to talk about at the beginning of the show. But I think it is also something that will sustain beyond some of, you know, once Caitlin Clark, once Angel Reese, once Paige Beckers, once they all go to the WNBA, I think it is something that will sustain. I think the then question is how of those players rate in the WNBA? And maybe that's a conversation, you know, we'll come back in the spring and see, you know, what does that mean for the WNBA's TV rating and their future TV deal? Because, you know, that's obviously top of mind in that league. But I think there's no reason to suggest that the college interest is going to fall at all, even when these players graduate. And so, you know, it's, it certainly is an exciting time. And, you know, there's, you, you mentioned it, Richard, all the windows that they are going to be in this year, that games are going to take place. And like, I think, you know, fans and and viewers only want more and more and they have every right to want more. But um, I think being a standalone property will will allow for that. I agree. Chantel?
1: Yeah, I think Ben really hit the nail on the head in terms of talking about the personalities where, again, it's not our job to sort of sit here and, and dissect how to grow the sport. It's to cover the sport. But, you know, I'd imagine that commissioners and folks in the NCAA and ESPN, if they're the entity that gets the tournament, is sort of watching, like, what, how do you make a Caitlin Clark, you know, like, obviously, it's her play, it's her personality, but she has been aided by, you know, sort of these media influences, how do you make an Angel Reese, like, how can you replicate the success and who these players have become by breaking through who is the next player? in women's college basketball to be that and what can we learn from the lessons of Angel, of Caitlin, of Paige in order for the game to continue to produce stars like that. In my opinion, you know, you've got Tony Petiti, if he can like take his eyes away from Michigan at some point, he needs to be watching what's going on with Angel and Caitlin and figuring out how do you do that for Juju Watkins at USC as she comes into the league. You're going to have this larger Big Ten basketball conference that's now Coast to coast, Juju Watkins. I think, in my estimation, well, her and Cody McMahon. Let's not forget, though. Let's not forget Cody, one of my favorite players to watch. I think what he needs to be figuring out is what can they learn from Angel and Caitlin and Paige, and sort of use that to fuel the stardom of Cody, of Juju, of whoever comes after them as well. You know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned within this season of how personalities can drive the success of the sport.
0: I agree. Yeah. I'll let you go, Ben. One thing I was going to say there is like, I do think I'm agree with Ben on that. I think the natural evolution now exists where I think the popularity will maintain. Like one of the things that's very clear um, from my perspective, I'm sure you guys agree with me is the athleticism is just so high now in the sport that players continue to get better. They're more prepared for college as high school players. So that's where the sport's different. And for lack of a sort of a different term, Many of them come in with swag and attitude and personality, and that's great for the sport. And that, I think, is what attracts people to Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese and Paige Beckers is they play with an NBA swag. Like, I don't know how else to sort of say it, and that's pretty fun to watch. Where, you know, in other years past, like, there were some great college players, but, you know, the swag of, like Shamika Holsko or Brianna or, or Stewart was kind of more rare than not. But today's seventeen and eighteen year old, they all they're all seeing this and they all play with it. So I I see that popular. But Ben, you want to say something?
2: Yeah, I, I was going to say on the, on the star building front. I think what's really interesting about this moment in women's college basketball is that you know so many of these athletes are really popular on social media and have such social media presences and brands built up and and. You know, I remember there was a recent study, actually, that Wasserman and the Royal Bank of Canada collaborated on that said that like the mid-tier male professional athlete has a larger following than the mid-tier women's professional athlete, but that the women's professional athlete gets two times more engagement on comments and shares and likes and, you know, developing a fan base and maintaining it. And I think we see so much in women's college basketball. These stars have, you know, such huge followings um, on social media and an engaged fan base but then, right now, what we're seeing also is that traditional viewership is kind of following suit, right? There isn't this detachment in the same way that there might have been a few years ago between social media and traditional broadcast numbers that we've seen even before someone like Caitlin Clark, right? The twenty twenty two final, I think, was the most watched since two thousand four. It was up, you know, twenty percent from the year before and thirty percent from the year before that. So, you know, we've seen stars and that have you know, followings online of a maybe a younger demographic, but we've also now seen, you know, maybe a different demo of viewers tune in. And so I think we've seen increases in both that only increases the value of the SARS and and the properties as a whole. I'm glad you and I should
0: have brought this up much earlier, but the you cannot discount the power of social media in the last like five years. It's really changed the landscape. The reality is Angel Reese or Paige Beckers or Caitlin Clark, they can directly give their I don't know how you say it, message or, you know, they could sell product basically on their forums. They don't need the athletic or or quite frankly, even ESPN. And that's sort of, that's where the game has changed. And that's where I think the continue, I don't know anything about Juju and social media sort of presence, but I bet you it's pretty big if she's into it. And she, you know, I bet you she's already, you could actually check for her, Chantal. Like it, she's already probably developed a following from that, having never played on linear television in college. And that's that's game changer.
1: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.
0: All right, the last one. I'll stick with you, Ben, and then we'll finish up with Chantel. So the Athletic had LSU, UConn, UCLA, South Carolina, and Utah as its um, preseason top five. We know that LSU lost. Um, I I, I sort of don't take early season losses to be the end of the world. And having talked to a lot of coaches, at least back in the day, many of them kind of like it. They privately would tell you that, like to sort of like let their players know that you're Uh, just be blunt, like that you're not the shit that you think you are. Like it's Gino in particular, he's used to like losses. He didn't want his teams to be undefeated because he actually thought that they, it sort of like brought him back to reality. Um, So I don't think Moki's happy on a loss, but I bet you she uses that now for the next five months, reminds these guys every day that you're not as good as your press clipping. So I think LSU remains to me is still a top four team. I'd be stunned if they're not in the final four but i'm curious how you guys think maybe maybe that loss changed your thought
2: i don't think it changed my thought um i i do think you know it, it creates some more realistic expectations and i think it is a reminder that lsu was a great team in the regular season last year but then they also went on this you know magical tournament run and those two things can be a little bit different right there were a lot of teams who had great regular seasons last year who you know had tournament runs cut short and and one team that i really like in the top five and really no one is talking about them. And you can make a case. They probably should have beat LSU in the tournament, but that is Utah. Um, you know, they're a team that uh, were a number two seed last year. Uh, they lost to LSU in the sweet 16. They were a few, a pair of late free throws away that, from advancing out of that, that game, Alyssa Peely was, you know, perhaps no player in the country blossomed like her last year. And she arrived at Utah after playing at USC and she immediately starred and she's back and anchoring this team again. And I think, you know, anything can happen in March, obviously, but there's no reason to suggest that Utah shouldn't be a top five team, be a final 14 because they frankly probably could have been and should have been last year. Um, so they are one team that I look at as a program that, lacks some of the star power, though Peely, of course, is is one of the, is an All-American, is one of the best players in the game. Um, But they are a team not enough people are talking about. And I do think one other team I would mention, and and I think there's going to be a lot of Pac-12 conversation this year in women's college basketball. We saw week one, it's going to be a media story, what the fall of the Pac-12 means. It's going to be a history story, what the fall of the Pac-12 means. And it's going to be a basketball story you know, what is this last hurrah for the Pac-12 me? Because UCLA is clearly really good. Utah's really good. Colorado pulled off this big upset. So um, a lot of late nights for me on the East Coast uh, and maybe Chantel as well in the Midwest.
0: No, I like I actually get in uh, Toronto. I get the Pac-12 network here, or I'm able to get it,
2: and uh, it's cool. Like uh, I'm not going
0: to tell you how, Chantal. It's, it's always magic.
1: I was I was going to say I was in Oregon, and I did not get the Pac-12. Network yeah, no, I at, can get it. That time, uh, Larry I won't, Scott, you must have with him. Re- I
0: won't be revealing how I get it, but yeah, I can get it here. Um, and so, um, so it's great because that is a really good conference. Always been a great conference. Uh, Stanford, et cetera. Uh, but now um, there's so many good players. All right, again, if I was given the opportunity to pick in the athletic, I would take UConn to win. And my thesis, obviously this is health permitted, but I love the fact that last year, a lot of players sort of had to figure out who they were without Paige Beckers. And I think that pays off for them massively come tournament time. They're also deep, like which they haven't been, it feels like in like 10 years. And so again, health permitting, I think they're going to win. We'll, of course, see. I can be called East Coast biased, et cetera. Um, Chantel, what about you? Um, for you, LSU, UConn, UCLA, South Carolina, Utah, has anything changed after the first couple of days for you? Had, uh, um, you know, after the athletic, that was the athletics preseason top five,
1: basically. I think this is so boring for the listeners. I pretty much agree wholeheartedly with Ben. I think we just have more realistic image of who this LSU team is. Um, I would agree with Kim Mulkey, that sort of the most troubles, you know, you can get over missed shots and sort of a a lack of execution at times, but there appeared to be sort of a lack of effort at other times or like, you know, togetherness um, or leadership that I think could be a little bit troublesome. Um, But again, it's one game in November. Against a team that returned four starters and was a sweet six, it's not like Colorado's a nobody. I understand that people outside of women's college basketball are probably like Colorado. It's like this is actually a very good team, Jalen. And don't you think that's
0: going to really help them? This is a great win for them. Oh yeah.
1: Oh, it's a huge win for them. And I think it's also kind of ironic, you know, that like Frida Foreman hit seven threes. Like LSU won the national title last year because Jasmine. One reason why was because Jasmine Carson hit five. Like you know, it's sort of this reminder that in basketball. You know the better team doesn't always win. It's the team that has the better night. And I think that was a really good uh, picture of that. Do I think Colorado beats LSU 10 times or nine times out of 10 if they play another nine times? No, I don't. I think LSU pulls it together, but I think they had the better game plan coming in um, to sort of stifle LSU and LSU didn't look like the super team that maybe we've all been talking about. So Brings them back down to earth a little bit, but I also think that uh that level of um maybe a chip on your shoulder is probably exactly what Angel Reese wants. So maybe we've like somehow with this loss, she's even more powerful than she was before. And she's gonna just sort of go through a run of double doubles at this point. I agree with you. I think UConn's super strong. Um, I think the team that honestly I think more highly of now than I did. And it was just because we didn't know as much about them as USC. I know we've yeah, talked great. a lot about Juju Love Watkins already, but-
0: Great, co- my I one thought, of my favorite coaches too in the world.
1: Uh, yeah, I think Juju and Raya Marshall together in tandem, they've got some shooters around them as well. I thought- you know, beating Ohio state in the way that they did. Again, Cody McMahon is another one of my favorite players to watch. They return a team that's super defensive minded. You've got JC Sheldon, Celeste Taylor, who I think was one of the best transfer portal pickups, like Ohio state was a team that, and is a team that I think could be a final four team in USC led by a freshman. Um, who, like you said, just sort of comes in with this confidence. One of my favorite moments to the game was when she did the too small uh, sort of taunt after hitting a shot that I was just like, that's a freshman in her first game against a top 10 team. Wow. Um, And so I think, you know, I don't get too down on teams in November. Um, I think if anything, I just sort of get more excited about watching what is to come at this point. and, And we've got a lot of good games still coming up.
0: Do and all those Pac 12 teams will be battle tested, which will really be helpful to them once you get to the tournament. They're all going to be playing uh, um, good teams. Also, I I, I do think uh, um, I I would not be surprised if, like, we start here only out of LSU. Nobody, nobody, no, you know, after they lost, nobody thinks we're going to win. No one picked us. Kim Mulkey, I, I have, as you two have, I've sat in so many press conferences where it's like the refs were against us. Nobody wants us to win. It's you know this is when she had a Baylor team that was like far and away like the you know the Griner Odyssey Sims team. So Moki will totally use this. It'll be like nobody nobody wants us to win. They all hate us. They're sick of us. It's it's always a good coaching Um. All right. Well, you I I appreciate the time you gave me today, and um, you guys have been doing a great job. And I totally look forward to reading your stuff all year. Chantel Jennings is a national writer for the Athletic, covering women's college basketball and the NBA. Ben Pickman is a staff writer for the Athletic covering those same properties you could also hear them on the athletic are you guys regulars on the athletics uh basketball product but I can call you that right so check out the um the athletic what is the f- a formal title of this I should know this
2: the athletic women's basketball show I thought so yeah real
0: I was creative like, I'm a, yeah well that's you know what you got it's good for search right so um so ch- yeah check them out on that um and again uh to the best in the country when it comes to covering women's college basketball and they are in a um they are in a growth sport. Um, this sport's only getting more popular, and um, and I would think media attention will follow. Um, knock on wood. Uh, let's see if that's the case. Ben and Chantal, thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast, and uh, best of luck with the season. Thanks a lot for having us. Thanks. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Chantal Jennings and Ben Pickman for their time and insights. Obviously, women's basketball is something I'm interested in, um, given I had covered it back in the day for Sports Illustrated. Uh, those are two of the best at doing it, and uh, and I appreciate their time. Head to the archives. There should be some stuff you like. We just did a roundtable on the NFL's big year with uh, Austin Carp and Ben Fisher, both the Sports Business Journal. Um, had uh, John Chambion, voice of the World Series, to talk about how he does craft. Doris Burke was a recent guests of this podcast as with dan rolovsky pierre lebron ian eagle again head to the archives there should be things you like um and if you do like this podcast please leave us a five-star review and a nice note that is how this podcast continues as i say every week I want to thank patrick Antonetti for all his hard work thanks to everybody at odyssey for their support and thank you for listening we'll see you soon on the sports media podcast